This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word. And take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Imagine being separated for three or four months, not being able to make music together. Suddenly, you're united and you're rehearsing again, and there's this incredible sense of gratitude. That's the way cellist Estelle Choi felt when she and the Calidor String Quartet were finally able to reunite during the pandemic. And that's also when they decided it was time to record the Beethoven String Quartets. They recently released their first three-CD set in this full cycle of quartets, and they decided to start at the end with Beethoven's late quartets. And that's what we're going to be hearing about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. Estelle, let's start off by just having you introduce yourself. I know that you were born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, and I know that there was a lot of music in your house growing up, and your brother, in fact, is also a cellist, so I would love for you to just kind of tell us your story a little bit, please. Well, I was certainly exposed to music early on. I'm the last of four kids, the youngest, and all my three other siblings are musicians as well. We were all brought up playing two instruments each, actually. Um, all of us play play piano and in addition to another instrument. Um, yeah, it was a, a noisy household. <laughs> um, and I really had this wonderful opportunity to learn from my older siblings, uh, two of which are pianists, and my brother, um, who is a cellist. Yeah, it was an a interesting upbringing, but with extremely supportive parents who really encouraged me to pursue music. Um, so I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, um, studied with a teacher there by the name of John Katz for 13 years from when I started at the age of five and from when I left high school. Um, at that point, I went to study with Aldo Parasol at the Yale School of Music. And following that, I switched coasts and went over to Los Angeles, which is where I met uh, my quartet mates at the Colburn Conservatory. And I want to ask you more about that, but first I want to go back to you and your brother Arnold. Is he still the principal cellist with the Calgary Philharmonic? He is, yes. Um, we're all very proud of him. <laughs> and one of the things I read was one of the bonuses of having an older brother who played the cello was every time he got a new instrument, you got his instrument. Was that right? <laughs> so you got to kind of grow into the instrument a little bit? I got some pretty nice hand-me-downs. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm. We're about a year and a half apart, so the timing would always work so that you know, oh, he's getting a little taller. Oh, I could use another instrument. But the the pass off would happen a lot, not just with instruments, but also with uh, repertoire and music. Um, I have memories of getting uh, music with his name on it and uh, scratching out his name to be able to put my own name on it. 
there was a little bit of competition between the two of us, as you might imagine, uh, being so close in age and playing the same instrument. But yeah, I learned a tremendous amount just being able to hear everything that he was doing along with my other siblings, um, banging away on the pianos upstairs and downstairs. Well, let's talk about what you are doing now. You started to talk a little bit about um, how the Calidor Quartet formed. And what does that mean? Why are you called the Calidor Quartet? Well, there are a couple of versions of the story of the genesis of that name. It is shockingly difficult to find a quartet name that really resonates uh, with each of the individuals in the group. So we were searching high and low for names. And I started looking into poems. And so I came across this poem titled Calidor, and it was written by Keats. And I started to read it, and it's a very interesting story and a narrative about a chivalrous knight who has a tremendous uh, respect for nature. And um, it's relatively long, but the name Calidor, his name in the poem is Sir Calidor. The name sort of had a, had a really nice ring to it. We've since sort of morphed the Genesis story um, to uh, show reverence to where we were formed, which is California. So we, we've kind of broken up the name itself from Cali, California, and um, Dor Doré, uh, which is golden in French, to kind of reference the golden state and the diversity of where we were formed and also acknowledging the support we received and in our early years. Tell me about that. What do you mean when you say the diversity? I think having been in in Los Angeles and being in a school with such a mix of students all pursuing the same goal, which is artistic excellence, um, and then being in a city where I personally never felt like a minority, despite being Asian Canadian. I think it's a it's a very special place in that you can find your community. Um, I think within the city itself, it's such a sprawling city, but um, there's so much representation. Um, there's a lot of diversity within the city itself. Um, so that we sort of refer to that. If anything, personally, I always think of LA as as a place where I I, I don't feel like an outsider there. Not to say that New York, I feel like an outsider, um, but I do think it's it's different, um, especially for me being Korean Canadian and having you know all of those communities in in Los Angeles in the Los Angeles area. Um, so for me, I think there's that there's that connection, and I think the just the cultural atmosphere in Los Angeles also uh, contributed to us flourishing. In those, in those moments, in those very pivotal early years. You are a founding member of the Calidor String Quartet. What does that mean, Estelle? How did you get this group together? So the quartet really began um, way back when Jeffrey Myers, the first violinist of the quartet, and I were playing in a string quartet with two other members and really enjoyed rehearsing and performing together that we we thought, oh, why don't we continue on to the following year? Because uh, we had been playing in a quartet pretty much for school credit. That probably led to one of the violinists in the quartet deciding that she didn't want to continue in the group. And then the violist at that time was leaving to pursue graduate studies. So we were 
two members of a quartet uh, looking for two new members. Um, at that point, uh, the viola professor there, Paul Coletti, re- recommended Jeremy Berry, now our violist. Um, and then a short while later, Ryan Meehan, the second violinist, joined us. And we very early on decided this is what we want to do as a career. And we are putting all of our eggs in this basket and we're going to make a go of it. So from the years that we spent at Colburn, we decided to move to New York City together, um, which is when we started our Stony Brook residency. That was two years. And then uh, that all led to what we're doing now, which is uh, where we're faculty members at the University of Delaware. Is there a music school there? Yes, there's a fantastic school of music there, and we are really excited to have joined the faculty officially in 2021. However, we've been performing and teaching there since 2016, 2017. Um, So our relationship with the university um, has, has gone on for a bit of time, but they are incredibly supportive of what we do. And for us, it's a wonderful uh, sort of second home base for us to be able to impart whatever knowledge that we've accrued over the years, um, an important part of our general group philosophy is to invest in education um, and to sort of pay it forward the amount of mentoring and guidance that we ourselves received over the years. It's, it's really important to be able to share that, I think, with, with the next generations. And we're, we find that we're very much able to do that at the University of Delaware, where we can teach and perform and continue our touring schedule, but always be able to come back and work with the wonderful students there. And you are an award-winning ensemble. I know one of your more recent awards was the Avery Fisher Career Grant in 2018. What have awards like that allowed you to do? Competitions seem to be embedded in our uh, original DNA. I think that's how we established our work ethic. And um, that's given us many important goals to strive towards. And so in the early years of our quartet, we were applying for anything and everything in an attempt not just to acquire awards, but really just to hone in on how we work as an ensemble. And I think having those common goals strengthened our bonds as a quartet itself. The the wins and the awards have been, of course, a huge bonus. Um, I think it's afforded us a lot of visibility. And psychologically for us, I think it's sort of an indication of the world telling us, hey, this is something interesting and, and we believe in you and we think what you have to say is important and worthwhile and is valued. Um, so that's, I think, how we've taken, how fortunate we've been in terms of uh, doing well in the in those kinds of competitions and receiving these incredible awards and honors. Um, I think it, yeah, it, it encourages you and it inspires you to continue on on the path and to, to never really be completely satisfied. I think that's one of the quirks of our quartet. Uh, one of our coaches in a lesson once 
sort of looked to the side and, and pondered for a second and thought, you know what, your quartet is, seems to be perpetually searching, that you're never quite satisfied and that there's always something else to discover. So I think that just propels us um, whenever we receive any of these wonderful accolades. It's, it's that encouragement from the world saying, keep doing this, this is important. One of the positive things that came out of the pandemic for the Calador String Quartet and many other musicians is you had the time to really dive into something. And for you, it was the String Quartets of Beethoven. What was that like for you and where did you begin? I think the, yes, the monumental task of of first learning all of the Beethoven String Quartets and then as the ultimate dream, I think, then recording them for the world to hear. It took us a little while to to decide when when to take on such a challenge. A small blessing from the pandemic was that we suddenly had time to really ponder um, those really big questions. When were we going to record this? Uh, we knew we would, and we we have been deliberately uh, avoiding, I guess, recording them on previous previous albums, uh, because we knew we would want to release them as a set. With the time that we were afforded to do a lot of deep thinking um, and and soul searching, we thought this would be, I think, an important time as we look inward to go back and explore all of those string quartets that had been so daunting before learning them. And they still are quite daunting, (laughs) despite having recorded almost all of them. Uh, I think it just the the stars aligned in terms of time. We then just had time to be able to work through them and to come to a strong consensus on what we wanted to say with each of the pieces. Um, so we have that to think in a sense. I'm not sure if the timeline had been different um, and the pandemic had not happened. Would we have been able to record all of them with this speed? I'm not sure. But I think we were very fortunate to be in a situation where we had a wonderful label, Signum Records, um, and they were very much open to us beginning this project. And then to be able to uh, uh, work with the incredible Judy Sherman, um, our producer for these albums, uh, was also just, I think, stars aligning because she herself is in such demand, but she has carved out some time for us for which we are eternally grateful. For people who may be just discovering Beethoven's string quartets, why was this a dream for you and why is it really so important for string quartets to take these on? Because they are monumental works. And for somebody who's just discovering them, can you kind of give us the elevator speech about why they're so significant? Absolutely. Beethoven's string quartets span his entire uh, career. So you get works from every single period of his life. The importance of these works for the string quartet are sort of immeasurable. I think it ushered in a completely new era and really uh, cemented the roots of the string quartet as a vehicle, not just for looking into the past, but also looking far into the future. 
And I think Beethoven is one of the rare composers that bridges that gap between the past and the future. Really goes far back and references early music all the way to, you know, you think of something like the Grosse Fugue. pushes the limits of what what we can handle and what we can comprehend. So if you're coming into this not knowing anything about the string quartets, I think if anything, to know that they represent an incredible body of work of somebody who pushed his own creativity and did not feel constrained to, to fit the status quo. Going into that, I think you can explore all, all of his compositional eras and find something that speaks to you, because I think his music is really an expression of the human condition. He explores the spectrum of human emotion. Beethoven's music was intended for everyone to unite us as a people. How does he do that with these late quartets? You were just saying how if we listen to them, we're bound to find something. Can you give us an example, maybe how you've experienced the ones on this recording, which are his late quartets? Is there one you can give us an example? It's like, wow, you know, I really identified with this as we were recording it. Beethoven suffered from a, a number of illnesses and his own personal struggles, you see how they make themselves heard within the music itself. One particular piece which really hits me personally is the Opus 132. This is Beethoven struggling and coming to terms with knowing that he's towards the end of his life and that he's plagued with all, all of these illnesses um, and has been sick for long periods of time. But in the slow moment, the Heilige Dankesang. He actually takes a moment to give thanks for his recovery and a visceral moment in learning this piece for me and will stay with me forever is uh, we worked with the first violinist of the Alban Bear Quartet, uh, Gunter Pickler, and he was describing this movement because we go from this gorgeous chorale-like opening into the next section which says with renewed force.
And the way that Gujapikla kind of just described it was imagining somebody who had been belabored with, with sickness suddenly being able to stand up and walk as a healthy individual. And that has always stayed with me in imagining that, imagining Beethoven feeling the, 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 the burden of this illness and yet then being able to stand up and say, no, there is something to live for. Those moments happen throughout, I think, all the quartets. There are these very personal moments where you can interpret it however you you, you feel it. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it, is that suddenly these pieces become very personal. I can tell my story about that piece, but somebody else could have a completely different uh, interpretation, if anything. And it's just so special that today however many hundreds of years later that we're still talking about his music and we're still talking about how it affects us and how it moves us and how it helps us process what's going on in our own personal lives. I was reading a little bit about Opus 131 and how Beethoven told his publisher that, oh, I just patched together some odd bits and pieces from here and there. And yet, as it turns out, that was his favorite string quartet. Do you know why? I think the, the also the uh, sort of unusual nature of, of the form of that particular work, having these almost little tangents in between the movements, some shorter and some longer, Um, I think allowed him to express without limitation and to have that freedom. When you don't see any barriers, I think that's when you can really be your most creative. And I know there's the adagio in there is the one that Wagner, I think, said was like the saddest thing that had ever been written. Do you have that feeling when you play it? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's... That's the thing about the slow movements of Beethoven. It's almost ineffable in the sense that... In, in describing them, because they, they're they so multifaceted. They can be sad, but there's always some kind of other side of it that it's not just sad, it's this, it's melancholy, it's... Um, it's sorrow, it's anguish, it's longing. You fill in the blanks for however you're feeling at the time when you're playing it. And that goes back to that, the personal side of, of how Beethoven speaks to us. 
This three-CD set with the late quartets is the first in what will be the full cycle of the Beethoven String Quartets recorded by the Calidor String Quartet. Why did you start with the late quartets? I think in terms of uh, deciding what to start with, there are some logistical, <laughs> logistical elements, which is, okay, what do we have under our fingers? What, what would be logical to record right now? What do we feel most comfortable uh, recording right now? Um, so, and I think that then led to us thinking, okay, well, because we started first with one Opus 127. Uh, that was the first thing that we recorded. It was something that we had been playing uh, and performing quite a bit before we started the recording process. So that just seemed to fit the bill in the moment. And as we began recording more and more, it, it sort of morphed. And in terms of our concept of how we would release the albums, it naturally came to be that we decided we would start at the end and, and work our way backwards, both for actual album CD pressing size <laughs> in terms of the timing, and also just philosophically, I think, tackling those late quartets and feeling that they encompass so much of what, what has just come from before. And then they also look very much into the future. And I think starting there and then working backwards just seemed to make the most sense for us. That does make sense the way you describe that now. And it's always interesting because sometimes if you know the ending of the story, <laughs> you know where you're going when you go back to the beginning, right? I mean, have you thought Absolutely. about that as well, maybe? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. There's this, um, I would say it's sort of a stigma where relatively young quartets, uh, I don't know if we would be considered a young quartet anymore, but um, there is this reluctance and... I mean, it's the stereotype that we uh, younger quartets cannot tackle the late quartets because they haven't lived long enough. They haven't lived through the pieces themselves. And I think that's a little bit bogus to me. Um, I think we bring in our own experiences, each of our own experiences, and they're so varied um, into whatever music that we're playing in the moment. We had, of course, worked on all of the quartets by the time we started uh, recording them. But to be able to have the sound of the Opus 18s, of the 59s, of the 74, of the 95, to go into 127, 130, 131, 132, 135, um, yeah, it changes how you play it uh, because you have a sense of, of who... Beethoven was and what he was trying to say. Um, yeah, I think it's maybe a little bit unusual to, to come out in that way, but I do think it will be an interesting journey to then go backwards and to also realize how much, <laughs> how much uniqueness and how much creativity was really involved in every single one of his quartets and how each one is completely different from the other. they all have their own technical demands and challenges. The emotional complexity, I would say, seems to amp up towards the end of his life. I think um, he's coming to terms with a lot of things. 
he has just so much to say in them. Um, and I think as players ourselves, we have to deep uh, into our own emotions and our own experiences to, to find those connections within ourselves. But in the earlier quartets, there are some deeply heart-wrenching moments. Um, a number of those slow movements will make me cry just as much as, as the Cavatina, as the Heiligerdankasam in the 132. So there is, uh, there's intensity in all of them. I'm really struck, you know, as we're talking about the emotional impact about these works, especially these late quartets, and you were doing them and really diving into them during the pandemic. Did that in any way change your perspective on these pieces? And if so, how? Absolutely. Uh, the pandemic caused us all to reevaluate why we do what we do. Ryan and I stayed in New York and it was a scary time to be sort of locked up and not knowing what was happening, hearing the sirens around us, the stillness of the streets, um, and just not knowing if we stepped outside, if something terrible would happen to us. That stress, frankly, I think is, is something none of us have ever experienced before. And for a number of my friends and colleagues, it's made them look really carefully at, at their lives as, as musicians. And, you know, there were two paths. Do you completely switch gears because you feel like you don't know what your place in the world is? Or do you hold steadfast and actually go even deeper down into that forest? Um, and, and that was the path that I took. I realized that being locked up, not knowing what's happening not knowing if my career was going to come to a complete stop forever, oddly enough, reinforced my personal love for what I do. I came to terms with the fact that I need this to survive. I need to be playing music um, to feel fulfilled and to have meaning and to be able to share what I have to say with the world. I think that is really my voice and my place in the world. So that cemented my passion and my drive for playing music and, and playing string quartets. Um, the first rehearsals back, uh, we had taken about three, four months off, which we've never done in the lifetime of our quartet. I mean, you could feel the energy and, and the love for the music, for each other the respect and just the gratitude to be able to do, to be able to bring this music to life, to bring new music to life, to bring old music to life. But most importantly, to be able to share our voice with others, which I think is, is what keeps us doing what we do. The late quartets of Beethoven in a new three-CD set with the Kalidor String Quartet. It's the first in their full cycle of recording these quartets. In fact, they were able to record all of them during the pandemic. 
cellist Estelle Choi telling us more about that in this week's episode of New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for New Classical Tracks. I'm Julia Macher. 